This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So the Bible points to one person, Adam, as the singular person who sinned and brought sin and death into the world on us. And that's because Romans 5.12 goes on to say, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and the world by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all of sin. So what that's saying is that because of Adam, death was passed on all men, all of us, and therefore our sin. That means that to call a person a son of Adam is to call a person the descendant of Adam on whom sin was passed. Because like Adam, the issue is that the sons of Adam are all sinful. So to call a person a son of Adam is to call a person another sinful descendant of Adam. To call a person the son of Adam is to say that person is as sinful as Adam was. For example, If you wanted to refer to a person as a part of the group of Romans 3.23, Romans 3.23, that says, for all have sinned, then you would say, for all the sons of Adam have sinned. You would say a person included in this group of Romans 3.23, all have sinned, you would call that person a son of Adam. But on the other hand, if you wanted to describe a person, someone who was described as 2 Corinthians 5.21, 2 Corinthians 5.21, who knew no sin, if you want to describe that person, you would not call that person a son of Adam. If you want to describe a unique priest, like Hebrews 4.15 does, Hebrews 4.15, where it says, for we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. If you want to describe that priest as having yet without sin, you would not call that priest a son of Adam. This is because you would not call a sinless person a son of Adam. If you wanted to to not refer to a person just as sinful as Adam was, then you would not call that person a son of Adam. 
On the other hand, if you wanted to express how a person is just part of humanity, part of humanity, if you wanted to say that a person is just as human as everyone else, only not a sinner, you would call that person the son of man. And that is because the son of man does not look back to Adam like calling someone the son of Adam does. The son of man looks at the present. It looks across the whole of humanity, across the whole of mankind. Son of man means to be intimately linked with current humanity of mankind. To call someone the son of man means to say that a person is closely and intimately linked to man or the human race. For a person who would be described as John 1.14, John 1.14, where John 1.14 says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, you would describe that person who was made flesh, you would call that person the son of man. Describe someone, describe a person who is described in Philippians 2.7, Philippians 2.7, where the description is, that person made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. To describe a person as made in the likeness of men, you would call that person a son of man. And if you wanted to describe a person described in Hebrews 2.14, Hebrews 2.14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise himself took part of the same. You would describe the person who was partaker of flesh and blood and was likewise took part of the same of men. You would describe that person as the son of man. So this person in verse 13 of Daniel 7 is the only place in the whole of the Hebrew scriptures where this term, this title, son of man is used. Don't be misled when you read son of man in all the other places because it's saying son of Adam. And there's a big difference. So now, the question is, when we come to verse 13, and the question is, who is this son of man? Who is this son of man? Well, the question is answered in the next verse, which is verse 14, where it says, verse 13 and 14 together says, uh, Daniel 7, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. And there was, here's the son of man, there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom which shall not be destroyed. This person who is called the Son of Man, the only place in the Old Testament that occurs, this person who is uniquely called the Son of Man has a dominion given to him that is overall. He has a dominion which lasts forever, and his kingdom given him that's forever. This person we could sing the hallelujah chorus to. It was Revelation 11.15, Revelation 11.15, where the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. In Revelation 19.6, Revelation 19.6, it says, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude and the voice of many waters, and as the voice of the mighty thunders, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Revelation 19.16, Revelation 19.16, He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So what we're seeing here 
in Daniel 7, 13. Verse 13 is the Son of Man has an eternal dominion, has an eternal kingdom. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel 7, 13 is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. His dominion is over all. His dominion is everlasting. His kingdom has no end. Revelations 11 and 19, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The Lord God omnipotent, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the Bible's great secret that's only revealed here in the Old Testament, only revealed here in verse 13. The great secret that Daniel is telling us is that the Lord God omnipotent is also the Son of Man. And it's this link in verse 13 that reveals that the Lord is the Lord God omnipotent, who's also the Son of Man. And that's the reason that of all the titles, all the titles that the Lord Jesus had, his favorite title was the Son of Man. And the Lord Jesus loved to call himself the Son of Man. He called himself the Son of Man over 80 times, more than any other title for himself. And the reason the Lord Jesus loved to call himself the Son of Man, because every time he did, he was referring back to Daniel 7, 13, and 14, the only place where that really appears in the whole of the Old Testament, the only place where the Son of Man is used. He's referring back to it every time he says the Son of Man, because when he's referring to it, he's referring to the Lord God omnipotent who became a man, a sinless man. He was the Son of Man. And not only that, that Daniel is the only place where the term son of man appears. Daniel is also the only place where the term the son of God appears as well, bar Elohim. And this appears when, you remember, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fiery furnace in Daniel 3.25, Daniel 3.25, when it says, he answered and said, lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. They have no hurt. And the fourth, the form of the fourth is like the son of God. The form of the other man is like the Son of God. Again, the link between God, the Son, and the Son of Man. So when the Lord Jesus referred to, to, was referred to as the Son of God, when it says in Luke 135, Luke 135, again, Christmas verse, the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Only one place in the Old Testament, in the scriptures for that matter, the Hebrew scriptures, where that term is uniquely used is in Daniel 3.25, the Son of God, pointing back to Daniel, all referring to this only place. So this is one of the reasons why the book of Daniel is so unique, because in no other place in the Hebrew scriptures do we have these titles for the Lord Jesus of Son of man and son of God. So he is revealing to us that the same person who was the son of God, Bar Elohim, is also the son of man, Bar Yisha. Okay, this is the great secret that Daniel had revealed to him. God the son is also the son of man. This was the great secret that the Lord Jesus asked his disciples if they knew. Did you, do you know the secret? When he posed to them this question in Matthew 16, 13, Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say thou art John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, 
And one of the prophets, he saith unto him, whom say ye that I am? In other words, when he was saying that, he was saying, do you know the secret? Do you know the secret from Daniel? Do you know the secret from Daniel 3.25 and Daniel 7.13? Do you know it? His answer, because the Son of Man is also the Son of God, the Lord God Omnipotent. That's why we call him Jehovah Jesus. Jehovah Jesus, because it's linking the Son of Man with God the Son, the Son of God. This is the great secret that was revealed in this verse in the book of Daniel, these verses in the book of Daniel. The great secret is that God himself would become a man, the Son of Man. That's the great secret. That's what Paul called, Ken said there's going to be a conference on the mystery of godliness. This is what Paul says is the mystery of godliness in Timothy 3.16, 1 Timothy 3.16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The Son of God became the Son of Man. That's a great mystery. That's the great secret. And these secrets, God has secrets. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But before God came as Jesus, it was not a secret to everyone. It wasn't. There were some that knew this great secret before Daniel. Eve, of all people, Eve, Chava, Eve, she knew this secret. And we can see that she knew the secret by the name that she gave to her first son, her firstborn, after her fall into sin. Genesis 4.1, Genesis 4.1. Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, that's not the way the Hebrew reads. Again, nobody asked me, so what can I do? The Hebrew reads that Eve said, Kaniti, it's very simple, Kaniti ish et Yehovah. The Hebrew, that last part, et Yehovah, et is a Hebrew uh, word that always refers to the direct object. So what Eve said is, I have gotten a man who is the Lord, who is Jehovah. That's what it means when she said, Kaniti ish et Yehovah. I have gotten a man who is the Lord. It's not complicated. But no translation translated that correctly except for Martin Luther. Martin Luther got it right when he translated it the way it is. I have gotten a man who is the Lord. What this is showing is that God somehow, we don't know, indicated to Eve that the deliverer that she was promised, that they were promised in Genesis 3.15, Genesis 3.15, this promise of the deliverer, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. God had indicated to Eve that her seed, a man, was going to crush the head of the devil and he would be God. And he would be the son of God who would come as the son of man. He would be God come as a man. And Eve just assumed that her firstborn son, Cain, was God coming as a man. That's why she said in Genesis 4.1, Genesis 4.1, I have gotten a man who is the Lord. Eve thought she gave birth to the son of man, who is Jehovah. Eve thought she had given birth to Jehovah Jesus. Well, she was just a little off. Because she gave birth to the first murderer, Cain. But she didn't know that. And the fact that she said that she had given birth to a man who was Jehovah shows that she knew the secret, that the Lord God omnipotent will come as the Son of Man. Actually, talking Christmas time, actually, it's not Eve, but it was another woman, another woman named Mary, who could have accurately said the words that 
that Eve said. Mary is the one who could have said, Kaniti ish et Yehovah. Mary's the one who could have said accurately, I have gotten a man who is the Lord. Because in Luke 135, Luke 135, as we said, the angel told her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, that thing which shall born of thee shall be called the Son of God. But this secret, great secret, as we look down the tunnel of time beyond Eve, we can see that there were others that knew this secret, found out. Jacob, on that great night in which his name was changed from Israel uh, to Israel, from Jacob to Israel, he found out the great secret as he that night was desperate because his brother was coming, he thought, to murder him and his family. He wrestled with a man all alone that he came to know that man he was wrestling with was God in Genesis 32, 29. Genesis 32, 29, when he asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee, thy name. He said, where is it therefore that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob wanted to know the man's name and Jacob, the man didn't tell him, but Jacob knew his name. And he revealed the name of the man that he knew by the place, the name of the place that he named where this all happened. In Genesis 32.30, Genesis 32.30, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means face of God. I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. He found out the man's name. The man's name was God. He knew the secret that the son of God would become the son of man. Manoah also came to know the great secret that God was the son of man. This happened in Judges 13, 17. Judges 13, 17. Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, what is thy name? And when thy sayings come to pass, we may do the honor. The angel of the Lord said unto him, why askest thou after my name? See, it is a secret. So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on. Came to pass as the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah said, Noah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. Manoah said unto his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God. He knew that that was God. This was the great secret. The great secret was not found out by searching. It was found out by revelation. In Job 11.7, Job 11.7, it says, canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty? This great secret is not revealed to everyone. It was revealed to some. It was revealed to those specifically who feared God. Feared God, Psalm 25, 14, Psalm 25, 14. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Proverbs 3.32, Proverbs 3.32, it says, his secret is with the righteous. The question is asked, in Proverbs 30, verse 4, Proverbs 30, verse 4, who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name if thou canst tell, if you know the secret? It was a great secret that God's name was going to be the son of man. Isaiah saw this great secret when he said, the Christmas verse in Isaiah 9.6, Isaiah 9.6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, 
And the government shall be upon his shoulders. He's going to have a dominion last forever. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. His name shall be called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The child that was born is the Son of Man. He is also called the Mighty God. Isaiah saw it. Isaiah saw it, that the Son of Man was God the Son. He saw it also when he said, again, Christmas verse, Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah saw the virgin was going to conceive and bear a son called God with us. This son was going to be God with us. God, again, revealed the secret to the prophet Isaiah. As God said in Amos 3.7, Amos 3.7, Surely the Lord God revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Now, we come now to Isaiah's great chapter. You might call it the greatest chapter in all the Bible. Isaiah 53.1. Isaiah 53.1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now, this is another title of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is called the arm of the Lord. You say, because he says, just who is the arm of the Lord revealed? And then what's the whole subject, the whole chapter? It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the arm of the Lord that grew up before God as a tender plant. The arm of the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ that has no form and comeliness, and when we see him, we should not desire him. The arm of the Lord is the one who was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The arm of the Lord is the one who the iniquity of us all was laid on him. This is the arm of the Lord. It's not a question of what is the arm of the Lord. It's a question of who is the arm of the Lord. You know, this issue of arm is kind of important for me right now because soon I'm going to have an operation on my shoulder and I'm going to lose the function of my right arm during the recovery, which they said could take nine months. So what have I been doing coming up to this operation I've been going through every one of the motions of my daily life and asking myself the question, how am I going to do that without my right arm? It's been very revealing to me, let me tell you, as I've seen how much I really uh, have taken my right arm for granted. I feel real bad about it, you know, because it's always been there and now it's not going to be there. So I realized that this exercise of thinking how I'm going to do life without my right arm is, how am I going to do this? For example... I want to cut up and eat a nice T-bone steak. I love T-bone steaks. Anyways, I'm going to do that. But without my arm, that desire to cut up and eat this T-bone steak, it's just a frustration. Because all I can do is think about how I want to eat that nice T-bone steak, and I can't do it because I don't have my right arm. All because I need the arm of Tom in order to accomplish what Tom wants. The arm of Tom accomplishes what Tom wants to do. The arm is a bridge that connects intention to action. And these are the concepts about the arm. The arm accomplishes what the mind and the heart want to do. I love my arm. I love my arm. Because it finishes what my heart and my mind want to do. Now think of how, with those concepts in mind, think of how the Lord Jesus Christ is called the arm of the Lord and how the arm accomplishes what the person wants to do. For example, in John 19.30, John 19.30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said on the cross, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.